to Podcast from the Banya, the podcast where we discuss disease, contagion, confinement and isolation in France's overseas penal colonies. This podcast is part of the Postcards from the Banya Research Project funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. My name's Aishka Sene, I'm a postdoctoral researcher on the project and I work with Dr Sophie Fuggle, who's the lead researcher on the project and today's podcast guest. Sophie is Associate Professor in Postcolonial Studies and Cultural Heritage at Nottingham Trent University. She's an AHRC Early Career Leadership Fellow and her current research specialises in recent and contemporary continental philosophy, eco-criticism and representations of incarceration. In January 2018, she was awarded funding for this project looking at multi-site carceral heritage in French Guyana and New Caledonia. There's a link to the project blog and Instagram accounts in the podcast description. Sophie's also working on a monograph entitled This Is Not a Camp, The Suicide Window at Comte des Mille Memorial. The book explores the possibilities and limitations for ethical spectatorship amongst visitors to sites such as the recently inaugurated Comte des Mille Memorial Museum, located in a former tile factory turned deportation camp in the town of Les Milles, just outside Aix-en-Provence. French Guyana is a French overseas territory in the Pacific that was used as a penal colony by the French between 1852 and 1938. During this period, 70,000 convicts were transported to the Banyan French Guyana, which finally closed in 1946. In this episode, Sophie focuses on a letter she discovered in the archives during fieldwork last year. The letter is from a convict, a libéré in fact, who suffers from leprosy and is quarantined on an island. From this correspondence, Sophie elicits important questions about the role of the witness during periods of disease and contagion, both in the penal colony and now during this global pandemic. She points out that some of those most badly affected are perhaps the least able to provide us with their testimonies. I very much enjoyed hearing Sophie's insights and I'm sure that you will too. Island, the witness and the library. One thing that strikes me about the way we are living through the current pandemic is the process of documenting and sharing our experiences. I think this is also reflected in the media, which consolidates various accounts of particular types of experience. Thinking about this in the context of a second and potentially third wave, we might identify a move to learn from the experiences and the problems that arose during earlier lockdowns both on a personal and collective level. One example of this is how those with what has come to be termed long COVID have been meticulously documenting their symptoms, especially as these often seem completely arbitrary and are constantly changing. There's also a sharing of coping strategies and the creation of online support communities. A lot of witnessing is taking place, if you like, and producing a lot of written as well as visual testimony for generations to come. It is safe to say that the amount of data produced about the pandemic far exceeds medical documentation and government statistics around contagion and death rates. Much of this data is about how the pandemic is impacting everyone, not just those who've caught the virus. This is unprecedented and a marker of the times, defined by our access to information and ability to produce our own media, rather than passively consuming mass media such as TV and newspapers. But this does not mean that everyone is being represented here. Our news feeds might be full of cookery suggestions and face cream advice, or what to wear for Zoom conferences. 
However, some of the most badly affected by the virus and the impact of lockdowns are perhaps the least able to provide us with their testimonies. We're seeing this with the elderly in care homes who have been unable to see family or publicly articulate their experiences. There's also been a crisis unfolding in prisons since many visits have been stopped and in wings where there is an outbreak, inmates are frequently subject to 23-hour-a-day lockdowns with increasingly limited access to the outside world. In thinking about who gets to bear witness to disease and contagion, I want to focus on a letter sent in 1909 to the Ministry of Colonies from the small island of Saint-Louis. The island is located in the middle of the Maroni River between the town of Saint-Laurent-du-Maroni in French Guyana and the Surinamese town of Albina on the opposite bank of the river. Saint-Laurent-du-Maroni was the administrative centre of the penal colony in French Guyana from 1863 until its closure at the end of the 1940s. Saint-Louis was used to house convicts who suffered from leprosy. So the letter I want to talk to you about today was not found in an individual convict dossier, nor was it located in files dedicated to the administration of quarantine sites within the penal colony in French Guyana. When I came across it, I was not thinking about quarantine and disease at all, despite this being something of a shadow that hangs over the entire history of convict transportation. I found the letter at the archives belonging to France's overseas territories and former colonies located in Aix-en-Provence. This was back in spring 2019, a year before the pandemic changed how we think about pretty much everything. The letter was located in a small folder of correspondence and plans focused on libraries within the penal colony. Both libraries and the lack of libraries is probably more accurate to say. So it is really a letter about reading, about books, and not so much about quarantine. But for me, that is what makes it interesting. The appearance of this letter in a totally unexpected context, which reminds us unwittingly of those who are often forgotten or excluded from the story of the penal colony. Those quarantined for leprosy appear rarely, they are sometimes mentioned briefly in the memoirs of colonial doctors or as part of a sensational tale, as a kind of subplot as we find, for example, in Henri Charrier's famous Papillon. In this letter, however, we find a different focus, which is not on the physical suffering, but instead identifies the importance of reading and books for those in quarantine. This to me is interesting in the insight it offers into the everyday lives of those interned on Saint-Louis even though these insights, as you'll see, remain brief and limited. The letter was written by Félicien Alphonse Le Mercier to the Minister of the Colonies in October 1909. Le Mercier was sent to French Guyana for aggravated theft in 1897 at the age of 23. At the time of writing, he had completed his sentence, but was obliged to stay in the colony as a libéré for a period equivalent to his original sentence. Monsieur le Ministre, Souffrez qu'un lépreux, qu'un paria, atteint un fléau qui épouvante le genre humain, fasse appel à toute l'humanité dont vous êtes susceptible. Dear Minister, suffer the appeal to the full humanity of which you are capable made to you by a leper, a pariah afflicted by a plague which besets the human race and his plea for compassion towards other unfortunates who are afflicted, as he is, with an evil without name or cure, and who consider you as the sole auxiliary able to bring to them, at the very least, 
succor to their morale. Interned upon an island with a surface area of a hectare, 45 unfortunates await a certain death, preyed upon by atrocious suffering without any intellectual distraction, whilst being consumed by a sun made all the stronger given the lack of any trees to offer shelter from the torrid heat. Reduced to remaining almost constantly in their huts, I have taken on the role of spokesperson for their suffering and implore you to consider what a small library might bring. A few works by Victor Hugo, Zola, Gustave Omar, Alexandre Dumas would be for these unfortunates, as well as for myself, a salve to our intellect which is deteriorating, along with our physiques, and we would be grateful with all our hearts if the generous minister could undertake such a philanthropic measure as this. Via the good care of Monsieur Schmidt, this support could be transmitted to us without considerably impacting the budget, and by doing so, Monsieur le Ministre would have assisted an entire group of the most afflicted members of the human race that it is possible to imagine. Le Mercier's request for reading material is framed by a certain hyperbole, which both emphasizes the writer's humility and appeals to the minister's sense of humanity. What's interesting to note is how both the opening of the letter and its conclusion refuse to dwell on specific details of leprosy and the suffering it produces. Instead, Le Mercier opts to describe it as without name or remedy, and then, at the end of the letter, refers to those on the island as the most afflicted members of society that it is possible to imagine. I think he does this for two main reasons. First of all, he draws our attention to the stigma surrounding leprosy, which continues to exist to this day as something that couldn't properly be named or described. Second, by merely alluding to the disease and its effects, Le Mercier is ensuring that the humanity of those on behalf of whom he is writing remains intact. It would have no doubt been less convincing to describe the intellectual needs of his fellow internees if he had provided a detailed account of the dehumanizing physical symptoms that leprosy produces. So this shows a certain sensibility on Le Mercier's part, which I think is intended to make his appeal as palatable as possible whilst also making it impossible for the minister to refuse due to the humanitarian terms that he evokes. The main part of the letter provides us with some brief but key details about life on the island. Le Mercier tells the minister that the island is about a hectare in size, which is roughly the area inside a 400-metre running track. According to Le Mercier, in 1909 there were 45 men living within this fairly small space. He describes a lack of trees, which mean it is difficult for the internees to find shade during the day. This means they are obliged to spend most of their time inside their huts. What's notable in his account is its focus on how the island creates many of the conditions of suffering, rather than on the symptoms of the disease. Again, I think this is important in emphasising to the minister how these external, rather than bodily conditions, can be improved by the addition of a library. Another thing we might pay attention to is Le Mercier's careful choice of reading material. He lists a number of authors whom we're all familiar with, Hugo, Zola, Dumas, um, familiar with because um, of their continued presence in the great canon of French literature. But these are also works that are realistic requests since they're exciting epic stories that would have taken time to read and which could have been read again and again. Moreover, they're texts that would have been approved of by the penal administration who were wary of allowing more popular and populist novels into the hands of convicts. Interestingly, Le Mercier does not request educational material, something that is often asked for by those in other camps, so things like mechanics textbooks or exercise books. 
The attorneys on St. Louis do not seem to be concerned with rehabilitation via education, but simply with finding some kind of mental escape from their situation. So I think this is quite a smart move on Le Mercier's part. Notice he also doesn't ask for religious tracts or Bibles. And here we might hazard a guess from the governor's response that religious material is already available. Or it may simply be the case that Bibles and prayer books are not deemed to provide the type of diversion the men on the island so desperately craved. Le Mercier is neither the first nor the last convict to petition the penal authorities for access to a library and reading materials. He is, however, one of the few who petitioned from a space of quarantine. Other convicts who requested access to library books were often those subject to cellular imprisonment on the Salvation Islands. Again, this was probably because they had more spare time in which to read than those working in the forest camps who returned to their bunks each day exhausted by physical labour. Nevertheless, the penal colony was supposed to be subject to some of the same decrees that govern the operation of regular French prisons, known as Maison Centrale. And this included the requirement to provide a library and reading material to inmates. Reading was deemed necessary to their moral rehabilitation, as well as a source of solace and education. Unsurprisingly, there was an irregular application of these regulations over in French Guyana. Where libraries were set up in the penal colony, their stock of reading material was seldom replenished and the humidity of the climate meant the condition of books deteriorated rapidly. A global project was drafted during the 1930s intended to ensure all convicts had access to libraries. It contained the proposal that the main camps in French Guyana would have an established library with temporary collections circulating to the forest and other satellite camps. Yet this was impractical when it came to quarantine sites and hospitals due to the risk that the books would pick up and transmit infections. Books sought to have been exposed to contagion were often set fire to or otherwise destroyed. And this meant that those most in need of reading material due to a lack of other activity were the ones least likely to benefit from the creation of these libraries. The response to Le Mercier's letter from the ministry is slow in coming. And this is even when you take into account the long drawn out process of sending and receiving letters between French Guyana and Paris back in the early 20th century. And I think this offers further indication of the lack of priority with which those interned on the island were treated. A reply is sent from the ministry to the governor of French Guyana in March 1910. The minister asks for further information about Le Mercier's request, including whether there is currently a library located on Ile Saint-Louis. The reply from the governor affirms that while the island does not have its own library, newspapers are sent there regularly. The governor suggests that a library could be created would need books provided by the department. And here I take it to mean the ministry. Libraries require money after all, and there is frequent debate throughout the archives as to which budgets books and libraries should come out of. The ministry follows up by confirming that for humanitarian ends, the creation of a library is approved and requests a list of books. There is no further correspondence in the dossier, so this seems to be where the story ends, at least for now. It's also worth noting with a hint of irony that Le Mercier may never have learned of the ministry's response and moreover perhaps never got to enjoy the outcome of his petitioning on behalf of his fellow internees. His dossier indicates that he escaped later in 1909. 
It's hardly surprising that Le Mercier attempted to escape from Saint-Louis at least twice during his internment there. As Eric Fouguer points out in his 2018 book, Les Îles Malades, the quarantine islands were something of a paradox. On the one hand, they were sites of a double exile. On the other, however, they were also less strictly guarded than other camps. Islands like Saint-Louis were used for quarantine partly because the water was seen to create a natural enclosure. Limited security also perhaps resulted from the fact that few guards or healthy convicts wanted to spend their time on an island surrounded by the diseased. In the case of Le Mercier, we should point out that he was sent to French Guyana in 1897 at the age of 23. So he was still relatively young in 1909, so only aged about 35. Cases of escapes from both infirmaries and quarantine camps were high due to reduced security, but also, no doubt, because those who were facing terminal illness had less to lose by taking their chances with either the ocean or the jungle. Yet this did not mean all such escapes were successful. The majority ended with recapture or death. The conditions of escape either via the forest or the ocean would have been especially difficult for those who were not in full health and physically strong. Having petitioned for his fellow internees on Saint-Louis, it seems Le Mercier was in significantly better health than some of the men he refers to. So to conclude the inconclusive story of Le Mercier, it seems fitting to return to our opening discussion of the texts and testimonies produced in and around today's quarantines and lockdowns. It is worth reiterating that those who are the worst afflicted are perhaps least in a position to have their voices heard. Le Mercier's carefully worded letter emphasises the way in which those suffering from leprosy were exiled a second time within the penal colony and generally considered of little priority. Men who, as Le Mercier points out, are simply waiting to die. I wonder when, perhaps in 100 years' time, historians look at the current pandemic as well as other recent epidemics, including the HIV epidemic, which documents they will give their attention to. Will they be interested in the endless puff pieces on lockdown baking and casual work-from-home fashions? What archive will exist that stores the experiences of those who do not have the time and space to document what is going on, who are too ashamed by how contagion has impacted them and their families to ask for help? What might we do to ensure these experiences are heard now? How might we assume the role of witness taken up by Le Mercier during his temporary stay on Saint-Louis? How can we ensure the dignity of those reduced to abject forms of suffering and survival as indeed Le Mercier did in the letter he wrote to the minister. The brief and incomplete story of Félicien Alphonse Le Mercier reminds us of our own responsibilities as witnesses to a pandemic. Huge thanks to Dr. Sophie Fuggle, our guest today. You've been listening to Podcast from the Bagne, the podcast where we discuss disease, contagion, confinement and isolation in France's overseas penal colonies. We'll be back with another episode next week. Bye.